0: Of Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they replied, Well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah Then he ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So as some of you know, I grew up in the Midwest and I was a tomboy. I spent my days climbing trees, writing songs and doing a lot of daydreaming. I had a big brother who was always doing fun things and I tried my hardest to keep up with him and play the sports that he played I was proud to be identified as David's sister. He was a great athlete and smart in school. And I loved reading about Ramona Quimby by Beverly Cleary. Her character was a tomboy, a daydreamer, and she frequently yet unintentionally annoyed her sibling. Her behavior was a bit impulsive and because of it, she many times embarrassed herself and others, but also, I was loved and encouraged and nurtured by my parents and also by my United Methodist church community. I remember spending Sunday mornings attending double Sunday school classes while my parents attended worship and then they would lead an adult Sunday school class. It was during those years as a nine-year-old that I experienced a closeness with God and a deep knowing that I was loved and felt called to be a pastor i created and led home worship services for my family i read scripture sometimes at the adult services in church and i dreamed of living on a ranch in colorado with horses and a cabin facing the mountains where i would write my sermons side note colorado was the only state this midwest girl thought that there were mountains I know there were times I shared my dream of being a pastor with others, like at sleepovers, when my friends were sharing what they wanted to be when they grew up. One might say, I want to be a nurse. Another might say, I want to be a teacher. And then my turn, I want to be a pastor. And it would be met with confused looks and comments like, what? There were no female pastors at that time and my friend that my friends or I could identify with. So as much as I had felt this tug from God, I also experienced the outward pressures of what a girl should and shouldn't do. After a few years of discouraging responses from friends and others, and a basic desire to fit in with my peers, I abandoned my dream of becoming a pastor. Perhaps I was influenced by a question I didn't know I was asking others, who do you say I am? And when the disconnect or the gap in how I identified myself and who others thought I was or should be was communicated to me over a period of time, well, I chose to alter my expression of who I believed I was in front of friends and certain groups of people. And eventually, I lost touch with that part of my identity. But back to Ramona Quimby, a character I could identify myself with, She looked like me, and do we have a a slide there? There we go. She looked like me. And as I read stories of her mishaps, it helped me feel like I wasn't so weird and I could identify with her. Now, I don't think her character ever expressed that she was called to be a pastor, but she would've made a good one. But I bring this book up not by accident, Reading books, especially as kids, can help us see ourselves revealed in characters and situations and stories that help us not feel so alone and that we might feel connected. And books give us role models of people that have interests like us and inspire us and help us to live into our true selves. In 2020, our church, like many faith communities, wrestled with the racial unrest at the time expressed as violence and protest all over the world after the murder of George Floyd. Collister took a deeper look at the way the church with a capital C and our own local church and denomination had been complicit and part of racial injustice. And we asked ourselves, what were steps that we could take to be part of dismantling systems of injustice? Many of you remember, One thing our church did was invest in a journey to ensure that students at Taft Elementary, a school predominantly of black and brown students might see themselves represented in literature and see faces that looked like them. Our racial justice ministry team worked with community leaders to create a YouTube series called Turning Pages so that young students not always represented in the dominant culture could see themselves in the face of a role model in the community and in the faces of stories and characters in books. And this series ended up being shown in elementary schools throughout the Boise School District. We have a slide of one of our episodes, episode leaders, Life Alunga. You notice the backdrop there is our church. That's where she chose to film her episode. Life connected her story as a young girl who came to Boise through refugee resettlement with the book, The Day You Begin. It's about a little girl who feels pretty different as she walks into school for the first time. She says, there were times when you walk into a room and no one there is quite like you. But the story goes on to how she finds connection with a friend who's got a sister with her same name. A simple little connection, but that made all the difference. And she goes on to say, this is the day you begin to find the places inside your laughter and your lunches, your books, your travel, and your stories, where every new friend has something so a little like you and something else so fabulously not quite like you at all. And so after that season was finished, the Boise School District approached us and said, hey, we recognize that students who, come, who are minority students who come from refugee resettlement or who are not from the dominant culture are giving up on being mathematicians. They don't see themselves as mathematicians. And so they asked us if we do a season two. So once again, Collister and the interfaith community came together to fund this next season, which just re- released. And the person that I wanted to share with you was an, a woman by the name of Dr. Duha Ali, She is a pediatrician from Iraq, and she came through refugee resettlement also. Her story is one of becoming a female doctor where there were no female doctors in Iraq, but then had to flee the country because of violence. Now coming to Boise, she has had to persevere and do her medical school all over again so that she can practice here in Idaho. So themes of perseverance and connection So she reads from this story about um, Dr. Patricia Bath, a very similar story to hers, when she says, but doctors back then, most were men, you will find. Still, Patricia stood firm. That did not change her mind. See, her father was smart and a jack of all trades, and he taught her we're equal, all genders, all shades. Yes, her parents were thrilled. They encouraged her goal. They said nothing's off limits, no job, dream, or role. The Baths didn't have much but were wise nonetheless. Education, they said, is the key to success. Mm -hmm. So, in this world, that makes it very confusing to find your truth, your identity. Our church provided this one avenue for children to see themselves in inspiring stories and hear from others who look like them and encourage them to be themselves and live their truths. But back to today's scripture. Today's passage is largely about Peter revealing Jesus's identity. The setting is near the ancient city of Dan in northern Israel, in the town of Caesarea Philippi, and I think I've got a map. There we go, um, a Greco-Roman city that's located in the northern part of Israel. It's near Mount Hermon and north of the Sea of Galilee. Caesarea Philippi was built on top of a massive wall of rock, and it was the center for the worship of the Greek god Pan. And then Herod the Great built the temple of Augusta there. The city grew as this place filled with Roman mythology and pagan worship, and it probably wasn't a city that Jesus and his disciples felt very welcome or a location in which they could safely and fully share their identity. Now, at this time, the disciples had followed Jesus for probably about two or more years. And in this passage, he's asking his closest followers, those who had left their families, followed him, witnessed so much of his teaching, and had seen many miracles. And in this passage, Jesus is asking who other people thought he was. Now, the disciples had most likely overheard people talking and forming opinions on who they thought Jesus was. People gave Jesus all kinds of names. They didn't really know him yet. But then the question came to the disciples. Who do you say I am? And Peter was bold enough to answer. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Or some translations some translations say you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then there's something so beautiful in Jesus' answer. Peter was affirmed not because he had simply repeated what others had said Jesus was. Peter was affirmed because Jesus said his response was from God. Perhaps Peter had begun to see Jesus as God sees Jesus. Peter knew Jesus not because of what people said, but because of his relationship with him. He knew Jesus because he spent time with him and saw how God was revealed through him. And the powerful connection I've been thinking about this week is that soon after this story in Matthew 25, Jesus is telling a parable about the kingdom of God. And he shares that the king in the parable said, for I was hungry and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And the listeners in the story asked, when did they see their Lord hungry or thirsty or as a stranger or naked or sick or in prison? And then the king replied, I assure you that when you have done it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you have done it for me. In this parable, Jesus was expressing his identity, God's identity, and connecting particularly to those on the margins of society. To hear and to see and to know and to serve those on the margins mean they were seeing and hearing and knowing and serving and loving God. So after our church council meeting last Monday, Amanda, our treasurer, stayed around for a bit. I shared with her my scripture and theme and progress and notes for my sermon thus far. And then she shared a piece of research that she had come upon during her master's study and it was pure gold. (laughs) She shared her connections with this study and a capstone project that she had been working on centering on this research. And because of that, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole and spent quite a few hours over the past week reading articles that Amanda had sent me on the communication theory of identification, as well as other links that I happened upon in my deep dive internet search. So I'll attempt to boil it down and give a snapshot of this theory and then how I think it relates to the scripture today and how I believe it impacts our identity as Christians and as a church. So I liked this graphic the best. Um, It was designed for a mental health article presentation, but it shows the four frames or layers in a Venn diagram. So essentially, communication theory of of identification is a communication theory, and it was developed by Professor Michael Hecht. He proposed that identity is inherently a communication process. Identity is a communication process. Okay, these four frames of identity can be understood this way. First, personal layer view of oneself, feelings about yourself, your feelings about how God thinks about you. So, for my personal illustration as a child, um, it, would fe- it would be that I felt loved, I saw myself as adventurous, and I felt called by God. Okay, then there's the second layer the enacted layer or what we say what we do how we act out in certain situations or communicate our activity our identity excuse me so as a kid i gave worship services to my parents i shared my calling with others etc so this layer kind of expresses how you want to be seen third layer relational layer this is our relationship that we might have with a friend or a teammate or a spouse or a boss So I think about my identity with my mom, or my dad, or my brother. Finally, the communal layer. This is the collective identity, where identity develops at the group level. An identity that bonds a group together. Think of like your company, or a sports team, or sororities, or churches. This frame locates identity as a group, not the individual. So there's a group identity that's taught and reinforced to new members in the group. I think this is a powerful frame because it helps set behavior expectations for both people in the group and outside of the group. And this is many times what can influence who is in and who is not. I could maybe use my childhood friend group here. We had a group identity as reinforced by the way we were known as a friend group or clique at school. But here's the thing, frames are not isolated. They can be considered two at a time, three at a time, or all four at a time. Through this theory, all identity is about communication and isn't developed or understood in a vacuum. So for example, as a child, I might see myself and my personal identity and also understand or learn how my childhood friend or my brother saw me, and then how I acted out my identity in safe relationships like my parents but I didn't act out my identity with my friends for fear of not fitting in or not belonging. And this also interacts with the communal identity of my friend group at the time in which I acted differently when I acted out my identity with my friends than at my home church, another community, where I did feel safe acting out who I was. So it's kind of this ever-changing communication deepening on the layering frames of these identities. This is compelling and interesting, and I definitely was running lots of scenarios in my brain, like the communal identity of Vandal fans versus Bronco fans. Go Vandals, I know I see Mark back there. Um, My relationship with my son versus my daughters. But the thing I had to stop and evaluate this week, and I think will inform some of my work and my ministry moving forward, is when there's a gap or a fracture in these frames when someone expresses their identity and it isn't accepted by a group or a community, or when someone doesn't express their identity just so they can fit in or belong. And while these gaps can be present from time to time, as this is sometimes part of the changing nature of growth and becoming and maturing, it's when there's a perpetual identity gap, a disconnect, from someone being able to live into the truth of who they are, that in these situations, one can experience depression, anxiety, stress, isolation. An article in the Encyclopedia of Health reads, discrepancies or inconsistencies become or among the four identity layers are called identity gaps. These gaps may be problematic because inconsistent or dissonant beliefs and practices can create tension or stress for people and depression. So with my simple illustration of my identity and call to be a pastor, there was an identity gap or a fracture in my personal identity and how others saw me. It changed the way I communicated or acted out this belief in myself and in front of my relationships with my friends. And over time, that result in identity gap was four decades, of not actualizing the call of God in my life. But there are many for whom these identity gaps impact their very being, a deep level of an identity that impacts all of the expressions of who God made them to be. When these belief gaps are large and felt deeply for a long time, it cuts off relationships, it cuts off people from community, and it ultimately cuts people off from themselves. And so I've been thinking a lot about the application of CTI in our personal faith and beliefs about who we are and who God says we are. And also in the way we act out our faith in our relationships with our neighbors and our colleagues and in the way we gather as a community, as the people of Colchester United Methodist. Knowing that there are gaps and fractures in the expression of identity in some of the most marginalized individuals and groups in our community, perhaps we can see our church identity as being bridge builders to identity gaps for those who have experienced harm and isolation for who they are. As I mentioned during announcements, next month at the Pride Festival, our book tradition continues as we partner with the Mennonite Fellowship to offer children's books to festival goers that provide characters and stories to help all people see themselves reflected in love and celebrated in their unique identity and fully as image bearers of God. Our Reconciling Ministries leadership team believes this is another step in being a bridge builder because through the centuries, the universal church in its many expressions and denominations, has done great harm to those whose identity is LGBTQ+. What strikes me about all these books we'll be offering, and they're on the table back there, alongside the cucumbers that the clients have brought. See how (laughs) I slipped that in? What strikes me about these books is that just how ordinary they are. Many of the books are based on true stories or the real lives of their authors, And some of the books simply look at everyday family life or how children are expressing who they really are with the support of their parents and siblings. And for some, seeing themselves or their stories in the pages of these books will be life-giving. One of the books we'll be offering at the festival is I Am Jazz. It's by Jessica Herthel, and we found out today that's who Carol knows, and Jazz Jennings It's based on a true story of a transgender girl and the way she navigated the identity gaps in her world. Amanda, the same Amanda that introduced me to the communication theory of identity, I've asked her to read a page that really expresses a a deep truth about this book.
1: Even today, there are kids who tease me, or call me by a boy name, or ignore me altogether. This makes me feel crummy. Then I remember that the kids who get to know me usually want to be my friend. They say I'm one of the nicest girls at school. (laughs) When I was doing my graduate study down in Southern California, It was also the time where I began the process of coming out and seeing what it would be like to be seen as who I am. But what I realized also during that time is that the gaps inside of me were chasms. They were gaping and part of it was because I was not home. I was not where I felt like I was at home. And so when I came back, I still didn't believe that it was possible to be me here. Southern Idaho. Um, Yeah, but when I showed up at this doorstep and I saw Joe, my former ethics professor at NNU, and Josh and Emily, both of whom I knew as friends, I began to think that it was possible. Um, And for those of you who have been a part of this journey with me, you have also seen me come back to life as I've been able to mend these gaps. So thank you for taking the time to see me. Thank
0: you. Thanks, Amanda. And thank you for opening up the whole new world of this particular research because I'm just, um, I'm enjoying understanding all the different implications but especially how our church can continue to bridge the gaps so that all people are seen and loved in this space and out in the community. And so as our church and others in our community purchase these books for our our booth at Pride Festival, I pray that we can be the bridge in the identity gap that has been reinforced over time to isolate the very identity God created someone to be. A gap created many many times by faith communities, communicating to these beloveds that time and again they were not accepted for their true selves. As a reconciling congregation, may we be a place where all people can experience abridged identity gaps and mend fractures. Jesus asked, who do you say I am? People have been trying to answer this question for 2,000 years. One of my professors at my seminary, uh, Reverend Dr. Benjamin Liddell Reynolds posted this on Friday, it is a mistake to look at the Bible to close a discussion. The Bible seeks to open the discussion. And so it's good and it's important to wrestle with the question that Jesus asks and to also be in conversation with each other about who we say Jesus is, because how we identify Jesus will impact the way we see and interact with others. Well, the story of me hearing the call to be a pastor has a happy ending, of course. The identity gap I experienced through my teen years and into my adulthood was bridged by a close friend, a trusted pastor, and a community of faith who affirmed and encouraged me. And there's such joy for me, but I also know there's been joy for those who were part and are part of that journey. And that outcome, that joy, is from God. That's the blessing of being part of bridging an identity gap for someone who is seeking to be their true selves. These bridges can be built using the tools of extravagant hospitality and love and compassion as Jesus acted out during his earthly ministry. And we can build a bridge by inviting others to be part of us, part of this community, Well, in closing, I wanted to share a little metaphor that I learned from one of my colleagues last spring, Rick Schuhl. we were at a board meeting together. And perhaps we can visualize this deck of cards as the varied identities of people sitting in this congregation. A teacher, a counselor, a retired teacher, an engineer, um, a physician, a soldier, an artist. And when we come to this place, we are one in God's spirit. And as the prophet Isaiah said, we are repairers of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings, and where God has given us the keys to be part of the unfolding of God's kingdom. And maybe this deck can also represent the many many identities that we have as an individual. I'm a mother, I'm a sister, I'm a daughter, a grandmother, a pastor, an educator, a songwriter, a wife, a widow, a cisgender white female of Swedish descent. I'm a neighbor, a friend, a tomboy, a servant, a board member. All of these identities pull me in various directions during the week. And I'm reminded when I come to this church each Sunday that all these things are true. And the one thing that is unchanging is that I'm a child of God. And may we all be able to deeply know that we are a child of God. And may we express this in our relationships and out loud in our community. And may we also experience the joy in being bridge builders helping connect and encourage all people to feel loved and encouraged for who God made them to be. Amen.